Hello and welcome to the Resilient Sessions. Alongside our weekly episodes, we wanted to give listeners the chance to hear the full story of our veterans. This is Stefan's story. It was the 22nd of October 2009. I was 25 and a second in command of a group of 12 soldiers in Afghanistan. Now to me, the army gave me everything. You know, I wanted to travel the world, help people, keep fit, and meet some amazing friends, always learning something new, always have a challenge. Now we got sent to Afghanistan to go and help the locals against an extremist group called the Taliban. Now the Taliban would move into an area, they would take people's food, take their money, they would ban anything like music, uh, education, any kind of medical help. And if anybody broke the rules, they would just kill them to make a statement. Well, not only that, they would also make uh, these homemade bombs that they would then go and plant. And they would hide them so well under the ground, generally, that people can't see where they are. And any man, woman or child would come along and stand on it and it would detonate and cause a catastrophe, as you can imagine. But we had these detectors that we would use, like metal detectors, to find these bombs. And then we would find one, we would mark it so everybody can see where it is. Or if we had a bit more time, we would call in bomb disposal to come and make it safe. Now generally when we go on a patrol, we groups of 12. The first group being the assaulting group, they're generally out in front, physically moving through the objectives. And the second group being the overwatch, who are close enough behind to provide that instant support, but generally trying to get on a bit of high ground so they can get to wider view of the area that the assaulting group's working in. Now normally I'll be in the assaulting group, but for some reason in this patrol I was placed into Overwatch. Now I just remember thinking, hang on a minute, this can't be right. Why would you do that? I've not, I've not done this role before. It's, it's kind of making me feel nervous. But as we all get in our kit on and you know the excitement starts building up in the inside and you get that, that buzz uh, that we're about to go out and do our jobs. And I just remember saying to myself, you know, now you'll be fine. You know, just trust your training. You know, you've been trained extremely well. Everything will be okay. So we got to an area on patrol where we had to hold our position and uh, my job as a, as a second in command was to place all the men out in an all-round defence. And as I'm placing everybody out, we had Luke and George clearing each position with the detectors as we go. And then after that, they'd clear the middle of this all-round defence where my position will be. Now, the day in itself was absolutely glorious. You know, I just remember the sun was shining, it was hot, there was the slight breeze that would throw bits of sand up against your, your skin. It's like this earthy smell in the atmosphere. And to the one side of us, you had this barren landscape that you'd associate with the desert. And then it drops down to a valley on the, on, on the other side of me where you just had this lush green vegetation growing all along the river. And then in the distance, you had these stunning huge mountains. It really was a breathtaking landscape to behold. The ground in itself wasn't sandy like you'd imagine it would would be that's not like the Sahara it was actually quite rocky you know lots of rocks and stones almost like a like a dried up riverbed you know check with Luke and George and then bang I just went up and I went down and I hit the ground with a mighty crack so what the hell has just happened I knew a bomb went off but who the hell set that off you know I couldn't see anybody I can't hear anybody there's dust there's smoke everywhere the smell of burning hang on a minute I'm on my own. Everybody's been blown away. You know, I can't, I've been left you on my own. I feel quite strange. I've got this kind of tingling sensation going through my body and in particular my left leg. And I just remember looking down and my leg was completely gone. And all that was there was just a bone sticking out with my flesh hanging off it. You know, like a banana skin when you peel a banana. 
it's me. I'm the one that's been blown up. I can't believe this. There goes my career. There goes my life. There goes everything. Hang on a minute. I better check to see that I've got, still got everything else. I remember bringing my hands in front of my face. Oh, yes, at least I still have my hands. And my fingers were all mangled, like they'd just been through a blender, all mixed in with the leather gloves that I was wearing. And an open fracture on my right arm. And I remember my helmet was choking me, so I remember unpicking out my thumbs and I took that off. Took my glasses off. And at that point, I kind of noticed this warm, oozy sensation around my body, which is my blood filling the crater that I was lying in. And I was overcome with the most intense, raging pain that I've ever felt in my life. It's basically a mixture of just this most intense stinging, like my skin's just been ripped off my body, and this deep bruising pain, like I'm just broken, like I've been hit by a freight train. It's something, it's hard to describe, it's something I wish I never feel ever again. And uh, Phil, my friend, appeared from down below me, and SS the medic came from over the top. And I remember Phil jamming his knee into my groin to stem the bleeding so I can get a tourniquet on, and SS was doing all the other bits to get me off the ground. And Dean was in the distance on the radio calling in for a helicopter to come and get me out. And it's at that point that I could feel my life kind of just draining away from me. I just kind of wanted to close my eyes and go to sleep. And again, I just remember thinking, God, I just want to go to sleep, but hang on. If I go to sleep now, I'll never wake up again. I have to stay awake. You know, I've got my wife Sadie at home. You know, she's waiting for me to come back. I've got friends, I've got family. You know, I can't die here, not like this. I have to stay awake. And before I knew it, you know, I was back at the base. And by this point now, I just really struggled. I just remember the fight was just so intense. It's the biggest fight that I've had in my life to a point where I just had no strength. I just remember asking for some more strength just to kind of, just to stay awake. And it's then I heard this helicopter coming in the distance. When I heard that, I was filled with a glimmer of hope. Just hanging that a little bit longer. If I can just make onto the helicopter, I'll be all right. And as the helicopter landed, I remember all the dust being kicked up and all the heat from the back of the engines. And the guys got me on there. And by this point, I couldn't really hang on anymore. I just remember thinking, right, I've got no energy left in me. I can't, I can't do this. You know, I'm about, I'm about to, I'm about to go. And I started to panic because I knew that I was about to die. And I mustered up the last ounce of energy that I had to get the medic's attention. And she looked at me, asked me what's going on. And I said that I, I can't stay awake. And I, she said, that's okay. You know, we've got you. And as soon as she said that, I closed my eyes and I was gone. The next thing, I opened my eyes, I was in hospital. Oh, yes, I've made it. I'm in the right place. Sadie was standing there, she wasn't crying, she wasn't being upset, she was being strong. And as I kind of became aware of my surroundings, I noticed that there was this machine to the left of me make, making this breathing noise. And that this horrible tube going down my throat. This machine was keeping me alive. You know, it, it, I contracted severe pneumonia and swine flu for good measure. And the doctors have done everything they could and they didn't know whether I was going to survive or, or die. And the more I kind of thought about my, my new circumstances, my new situation, the more depressed I started feeling, the lower I started to feel. You I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't sit up, I couldn't feed myself, I couldn't... I couldn't really do anything. I mean, there I was yesterday, you know, not even in command of 12 soldiers in Afghanistan. Here I am now, I'm not even in control of my own breathing. 
you know, how am I going to be uh, a, a husband to Sadie? You know, the person that she married, how am I going to be, you know, the man that, you know, have my job and kind of, you know, fend, fend for myself, you know, look after everything else. And how am I going to, how am I going to exist? You know, how am I going to be a father to any future kids? You know, all these questions. And I just felt so, so worthless and just so, so pointless as a human being. And it's at that point that I kind of noticed how hard everybody was working around me to keep me alive. You know, I remembered how hard I had to work to stay awake. I just thought, hang on a minute, you know, you can't give up. You know, people are counting on you. You know, Sadie's counting on me, my friends, my family. You know, I've, I've, I've got to fight. There's no other way. There's no other way out of this. I have to fight. And the more I thought like this, the more I filled myself with this motivation. But at the same time, the more frustrated I started feeling because I just wanted it all to go away. You know, I just kind of wanted to open my eyes like it was a bad dream and just be at home. You know, I just kind of, you know, just this real desire to get out of there. But that's when I realised that I need to be patient. You know, things don't happen overnight. Sometimes things take as long as they take. You know, first I have to let medication take its course. And then once I'm better, I can get off the ventilator. Once I'm off the ventilator, that's when I can go to the ward to learn how to sit up, feed myself, go to the toilet, you know, get into wheelchair, those sorts of things. And once I've got this basic independence, that's when I can finally leave hospital. So a few days went by and the doctors came down and they said, right, well, we're going to turn the machine off now, see if you can breathe on your own. And I just remember thinking, hang on a minute, you can't do that. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm ready for this. What's, what's going to happen when you turn that off? But at the same time, I was thinking, but if they do that and I can breathe myself, you know, that's my ticket out of intensive care. That would be brilliant. They turn the machine off. I was breathing. I was breathing. I was thinking, this is amazing. You know, I'm breathing for myself. I can finally get out of intensive care and get onto the ward and get on with everything else. What a major victory towards getting out of hospital. I got onto the ward and on the ward first thing I was learning to sit up and I just remember my body being all bruised and broken and just so weak. And it just the effort I had to put in to try and sit up and I just couldn't quite do it. And I just remember trying all sorts of different ways, but I just kept telling myself, don't give up. Just keep trying. It's important. You've got to do it. Just don't. Just don't give up. And eventually I did this kind of strange rolly thing and I sat up. And I was thinking, this is brilliant, I've done it. Well, another tick in the box, another goal completed. Next thing was feeding myself, that was, that was simple enough. But that was another goal completed. Now I come getting out of bed into a wheelchair. Now this was done using a thing called a banana board, which is a banana shaped wooden board. It's flat, it's about 10 inches wide. And the idea is that you put one end on the edge of the bed, the other end on the wheelchair, and then you get your bum on it, you shuffle across, and uh, it sounds simple, but it certainly wasn't. I just remember sitting on the edge of the bed, and I'm kind of trying to work this out, thinking, right, how am I going to do this? You know, trying it this way, trying it. Bear in mind, I couldn't use my hands at all. They were still kind of broken and wrapped up. And uh, I was just like, okay, well, how am I going to do it? Getting frustrated with myself, but at the same time thinking, right, just don't give up. Just keep trying. Just try different ways. And eventually I just kind of turned around, I got to do it backwards, I hooked my elbows onto the chair and I just gave one big shove and I did it. Freedom. That was the first thing I thought. No longer am I stuck in that bed 
having to go to the toilet, having to eat, having to wash, having to do all those things in there, I could finally get out, get out and about, go downstairs for a cup of tea, go and watch TV, I'm free. Now came toilet training. Now if getting out of bed was difficult, this was just on a different level. I was wheeled up to the toilet and I sat there, bearing in mind this time now I can't use a banana board and still my hands were all wrapped up and pressure starting to build if you know what I mean. And I just remember thinking, right, how am I going to do this? I had all the bars down either side and I was trying to work it out, but the pressure is just building. I was just getting more and more desperate with every second thinking, oh my goodness, I'm so desperate. I can't concentrate. Oh, Sadie, you're going to have to help me. Sadie had to put me onto the toilet. What a failure. You know, what a loser. How embarrassing is this? You know, my wife just had to put me on the toilet. But hang on a minute, you know, give yourself a break. You know, I've done quite well up until now. You know, again, sometimes things don't always happen straight away. We might have to keep trying or maybe we should change the approach and how we try it. Why not try it when you don't need to go to the toilet? You can take as long as you need then, which is what we did. So again, I was wheeled up to the toilet and again, messing around, trying to figure it out. And eventually I kind of hooked this elbow onto that bar. I hooked my forearm onto the other one. I hooked my leg over the toilet seat like this. And I just gave one big shove again and I was on the toilet. I mean, I was facing the wrong way, but that didn't matter. I was on target. This is absolutely brilliant. I've done it. But not only that, it's that feeling of elation because I realised that I've done everything that I needed to do to get out of hospital. I can finally get out of here. My physiotherapist came down and she said, um, you know, why don't we just maybe try standing up, maybe try and take a few steps. And I was thinking, hey, hang on a minute. Have you like seen the state of me? You know, I've got no legs for a start. You know, we're going to do that. Anyway, she explained. She said, we'll do it using uh, these cage-like legs with inflatable cushions that pump up around your stumps. And you've got belts that go over your shoulders and they hold the legs in place. And then you have like a, a, a wheeled sort of frame that goes under your forearms that takes the weight. So the idea is just to get standing and just to get that motion off walking again. I thought, oh yeah, let's, Nina, let's do it. And I remember lying on this plinth, this sort of, Floating up the ceiling, being strapped up with all these things, feeling slightly nervous, not quite sure how it's going to turn up. And it started lifting slowly. And I just remember looking around, feeling a bit nervous. And there I was. I was standing. I was standing. I was thinking, no way. I'm standing again. This is absolutely insane. I mean, three and a half weeks ago, I was blown up. I couldn't even breathe for myself. And here I am now, and I'm standing again. It's completely out of this world. Right, come on, Stefan, you've got to concentrate. Let's try that first step. And I just remember the effort I had to put in and the sweat pouring down my forehead. Oh, and I took that first step. And the next one, come on. Oh, and I took that next step. Before I knew it, I was halfway across that room. And I was reminded of something that day about resilience. You know, human beings, we all have resilience. People overcome all sorts of atrocities around the world all of the time. I've got resilience. I just had to remember how to use it. Now I've managed to stand up again that day, and really so could any of you, and I'd like you to remember that. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Defan's story, which we've released as part of the Resilient Session series. We're back next week with another full episode where Stu and I chat to inspiring Blesma veterans, and especially invited guests. See you then.